0: Hello and welcome to Hard Money, I'm Natalie Brunel. The latest consumer price index numbers have been released, and the good news is inflation actually came down. July's CPI number is 8.5%, a slight decrease from June's 9.1% print. As Lynn Alden points out in this tweet, official CPI in rate of change terms finally crested for the moment with the slowing economy leading to a cooling off in energy prices. But over the last year, check out how much prices are still up across all these sectors. Energy still up 75%, electricity 15%, food at home 13%. Meanwhile, the White House is taking a victory lap over the latest jobs report. It showed that 528,000 jobs were added in July, dropping unemployment to 3.5 percent. Unemployment numbers are actually now back to pre-pandemic levels. Economists within the White House say this is a clear indication that we are not in a recession. However, the report doesn't tell the full story. Most of the jobs created were in the low-paying service sector, jobs that do not require a lot of experience or low barriers to entry. Most of the new jobs also went to people who already. already have a job, as more Americans take on a second job to help make ends meet. In fact, 433,000 Americans are now working two full-time jobs. That is the highest amount ever. Even with multiple jobs, people are struggling to keep up with the record inflation. June consumer credit surged by more than $40 billion. And credit card debt soared at an annualized rate of 16% as people went deeper and deeper into debt to afford the higher prices. And speaking of debt, new numbers also show that Americans simply are not able to save and are taking on more debt, taking out more lines of credit. Household debt now totals more than $16 trillion. That's the highest amount ever also. Credit card balances make up close to $900 billion of that total with mortgages, auto loans, and of course, credit card balances, all seeing big increases. Over in Washington, the Senate narrowly passed the Inflation Reduction Act this week. It's a bit ironic because to fight inflation, our nation is passing another massive spending bill. The legislation authorizes $740 billion in spending to be exact, the majority of the money going toward investments to curb climate change and boost clean energy. It also allows Medicare to negotiate prices with drug companies, which proponents say should bring down the cost of prescription medication. Critics of the bill include many Bitcoiners who argue the government can't tame inflation by printing more money and running higher deficits. Shark Tank's Kevin O'Leary even called the bill a joke in terms of fighting inflation.
1: And I understand everybody's having fun with this. Naming it anti-inflation is a joke. This is going to be very inflationary almost immediately because we're printing billions of dollars. So it's not gonna help there at all.
0: One of the other items in the Inflation Reduction Act went to boost the IRS by providing $80 billion in funding. That money will be spent on adding an additional 87,000 agents. Former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley tweeted that would give the IRS a bigger staff than the Pentagon, State Department, FBI, and Border Patrol combined. Popular podcaster and attorney Eric Matheny took it a step further, writing, quote, the 87,000 new IRS agents are not looking for costly litigation with billionaires and millionaires in courtrooms. They are looking to put the fear of God into middle-class Americans and small business owners who can't afford to fight back. The White House says the money will step up its tax enforcement efforts and modernize its technology. If history is any indicator, the stock market could be in for a bumpy ride. According to investment advisor Charlie Bolello, the combination of low unemployment and high company valuations has traditionally been bad for stocks. Bolello points out that when unemployment is low, people are willing to pay a higher multiple on earnings compared to when unemployment is high. Bolello is not necessarily predicting a decline in stocks, but simply noting the connection. All right. let's move now to some of the big Bitcoin headlines we're following. First up, some Bitcoin mining companies are forced to sell more and more Bitcoin to pay off their debt. One of the largest Bitcoin miners, Core Scientific, had another net loss on its Bitcoin holdings in July. The company announced it mined more than 1,200 Bitcoins last month while selling close to 2,000 to pay for expenses. The company said it used the cash to increase its data center capacity and pay for mining rigs it ordered in 2021. This is the second consecutive month of losses for Core Scientific. In June, it had to sell more than 7,000 coins while only producing about 1,100. The company is not alone. As Bitcoin miners have started to sell their mined assets to pay for expenses, Riot Blockchain also sold 275 Bitcoins in July for about $5.5 million. BlackRock, the world's largest asset manager with about $8 trillion under management, has partnered with Coinbase. The partnership will provide crypto trading, custody, prime brokerage, and reporting capabilities to BlackRock's institutional clients. In a statement, BlackRock said that a growing number of institutions want more exposure to digital assets. Coinbase's stock has gone up nearly 50% since the partnership was announced. And The BlackRock Coinbase partnership is welcome news for some crypto bulls as some projects were hit hard recently by hackers, specifically Solana and Nomad. Hackers stole more than five million dollars after draining thousands of hot wallets on the Solana network. Solana developers confirmed the breach and said they're going to investigate their security. They also encouraged users to use hardware wallets. Meanwhile, crypto company Nomad had a much more devastating breach. Hackers discovered a vulnerability in Nomad's code and stole nearly $200 million. The exploit allowed users to enter any value into the system and then withdraw the funds, even if there weren't enough funds available. Nomad is now offering a 10% bounty on any funds returned to the company. So far, they've recovered only about $20 million. The U.S. Treasury Department has sanctioned Tornado Cash, an Ethereum coin mixing tool over concerns of money laundering and ties to hackers in North Korea. The Treasury Department listed Tornado Cash's website and dozens of Ethereum addresses to its list of specially designated nationals list. That means Americans are banned from using the tool or transacting with those addresses. Tornado Cash is an app that lets people make private transactions on the Ethereum network by pooling together its deposits and mixing them up so the transactions are obscured. According to U.S. officials, the app is routinely used by the Lazarus Group, a North Korean hacker group with ties to the North Korean government. The U.S. government claims Lazarus has laundered close to $500 million using the service. Tornado Cash has not responded to the sanctions. And lastly, we want to give a special shout out to Lynn Alden, who wrote an incredibly detailed article about the Lightning Network. Lightning is Bitcoin's second layer of instant settlement transactions built on top of the Bitcoin network. The article, which is posted on Swan Bitcoin's website, goes in depth on the history of payment systems, the importance of optimizing for security versus speed, and the importance of a truly decentralized and permissionless payment network. The article has a wealth of useful information, in addition to being just a fascinating read about how Bitcoin continues to improve as a medium of exchange. All right, those are the latest Bitcoin and macroeconomic headlines. Ahead, we speak to crypto law and regulatory expert Haley Lennon. That's next after these messages. Welcome back. Joining me this week on Hard Money is attorney Haley Lennon, partner at Anderson Kill. Haley, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Natalie. Good to see you. It's great to see you. Well, let's start first with the latest on the regulatory front involving the SEC and the CFTC. You mentioned the last time we were both on air together that there is sort of a regulator land grab going on. So, what can you share about that?
1: Yeah, I think um, we've seen this for many years, and I think it's finally coming to a head. The SEC has wanted to regulate as much of the cryptocurrency industry as possible. Um, as a reminder to your viewers, the SEC is still relying on case law from 1946, the Howey test to try to justify what cryptocurrencies are under their you know, jurisdictional control. And so um, it was just, I've lost track of time with all the news we have going on, but a few weeks ago where um, the SEC has done had an enforcement complaint against insider traders allegedly using um coinbase insider information to trade certain cryptocurrencies and in that they named nine cryptocurrencies that they have alleged to be securities Um, what's really weird about that is that there hasn't been you know coinbase hasn't been named and but it's sort of like the sec is trying to slip under the radar, some of some of these allegations that cr- these cryptocurrencies are, in fact, securities. And um, and I think the biggest complaint in the industry, for the general industry, is that the SEC typically regulates through enforcement action, not through some sort of um, clear guidance or cooperative co- cooperative approach to the industry. And this also does impact Bitcoin and Bitcoiners because if you remember the SEC is constantly denying things like Bitcoin spot ETFs and even Bitcoin lending and those sort of things. So it's really frustrating. Um, The only other thing I'd add is that we're seeing bills being introduced that will hopefully take some of the regulatory authority away from the SEC and give more of it back to the CFTC, which really is the regulator that should be overseeing commodities and has already made clear that it oversees Bitcoin.
0: Yeah, well, I know a lot of people in the space want less regulation because they're worried the government's going to, you know, first take an inch and then all of a sudden it's going to be a mile. But Haley, I know you've been following the fallout of some of the crypto platforms that went under in recent months, including Celsius. What's the
1: latest on that? And do you
0: think creditors will ever see any of their money?
1: Celsius obviously has filed for bankruptcy protection. They chose to do uh, Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection rather than Chapter 7. And the difference there is that Chapter 11 means that they continue to operate while they work on their financial status. It also means that secured creditors will be paid before unsecured creditors. And we've seen since these um, court filings with the bankruptcy court by Celsius really pointing to their terms of service and how they intend to treat customers because they did disclose that customers were really turning over ownership and control to the company. And so unfortunately, I think that um, unsecured creditors have a very long journey ahead of them. I think we might see some lawsuits of individuals trying to um, argue that they should be treated as secured, um, secured creditors or in some way have some sort of priority about getting access back to their funds. But all of those things take a very long time. Celsius is due back uh, in court later this month and, uh, and you know, we'll have some more updates then.
0: Also, some surprises as far as companies and government agencies that ended up on that creditor list. Um, All right, let's move on to one of the biggest talking points on Twitter this week Tornado Cash. I know you wrote an article for Forbes about Treasury sanctions. Bring us up to speed on what happened and what it means for the industry.
1: Yeah, it's really wild because I think that the way OFAC has started to introduce their regulations to the crypto space has been very slow and calculated. We first saw, and I believe 2018, but I mean yes 2018 that when OFAC you know really started to add bitcoin wallet addresses to their sanctions list so what OFAC it, you know their job is to maintain a the SDN list which contains names entities and even vessels shipping vessels that are associated with terrorist or, um, activity and 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 that's a very serious um you know, oversight, is, OFAC is strict liability, so there's no de minimis exception or amount, uh, there's no intent or knowledge requirement to be found liable for that. And so, you know, back in 2018 when, when they started to add wallet addresses to the SDN list, it, it made sense because the wallet addresses were directly connected and associated with individuals that were also being added to the SDN list. Earlier this year, we saw another example of another mixer being added to the SDN list and some associated wallets. But again, that was a bit different because those wallet addresses added to the SDN list were directly associated with some entities that were tied to terrorist organizations. Um, In the case of Tornado Cash, I think the biggest concern here is that they've not only the SDN list has now been updated with Tornado Cash, which by the way, is not really an official entity. It's more of a open source software and non-custodial mixer, meaning that anyone who sort of touches that software could have issues with OFAC. And like I said, OFAC's a very big, very real regulator to be concerned with. And so I also saw a report today from Chainalysis that I think only about um, 10% of the funds that are actually associated with tornado cash were in fact connected to these hacking incidents. And so we have this big question mark on whether OFAC and other regulators really understand the consequences of some of the news that's come out this week. I know there's many organizations, including Coin Center that are working really hard on solutions and continued education to regulators, Um, but it does, it leaves a big question mark for the industry and privacy technology um, and really software and how, how, you know, the industry can continue to grow when, when regulators in the U.S. Approach, approach aspects of the technology like this.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. So many questions and in large part because many of the people involved in this space are international. So difficult for U.S. regulators to keep track of that. Um, You know, I just want to ask before we close out, what is the hardest part about practicing crypto law in the U.S.? Such a new space
1: emerging. You mentioned laws from 1940s. Yeah, I think I think you kind of nailed it. I mean, keeping track of everything, there's never there hasn't been a dull uh, moment or dull week in the industry since I really started uh, working in the space in 2013, 2014. Um, Also understanding how these old old laws should apply to the new technology and the educational component. Um, A lot of interacting with regulators and trying to make sure that regulation, as much as we don't want it, the regulation that's here is informed and, and created in a way that doesn't just stifle the innovation of this technology and, and the goals we all have for Bitcoin. Um, you know, it's 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 a hard job, but but I love it and happy to come on and and share all this news with 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 you today.
0: Well, we're so lucky to have your perspective, Haley. Thank you so much, Haley Lennon, partner at Anderson Kill. And coming up on Hard Money, don't miss this very special report on hypocrisy among government officials and politicians. Don't go away.
1: Oh hi, I'm Max Tazer and this of course is Plucky. I got a new job. I'm now Plucky's trainer. We're doing some of these uh, sit-ups here. He wants to get as strong as possible for the fiat money apocalypse. That's right Max, we're both heading into the fiat money apocalypse and I'm stacking sets over Swan Bitcoin. Oh that's so smart Plucky. How did you get so smart? Get the Swan app. Congresswoman Alexandria
2: Ocasio-Cortez wearing a designer gown emblazoned with the words, tax the rich.
0: Photos emerge showing the governor unmasked and in close quarters with a
1: large group.
2: Nancy Pelosi is under fire after surveillance video shows
1: her at a hair salon getting a blowout and not wearing a face mask. Hypocrisy. Texas Senator Ted Cruz jetting off to Cancun during an unprecedented
0: crisis in his state. Privilege for me, but not for thee. Hey dirt people, give up your cars, heat sources, and steel buildings while we wait in the lounge sipping Cristal as the G6 gets gassed up. Few things are more frustrating to working class Americans than one set of rules for elites and another for everyone else. Climate change is real. Here's U.S. Senator and climate crusader Elizabeth Warren making headlines in 2020 after exiting a private jet and apparently ducking behind a staffer to avoid the cameras. And here's climate czar John Kerry, who lectures the public on putting an end to fossil fuels while it's been reported his family private jet released 300 metric tons of carbon since Biden took office.
2: It's the only choice for somebody like me who is traveling the world to win this battle.
0: Nothing riles up the electorate like politicians who don't practice
1: what they preach. Their faces are, are open, they get to smile for all of the cameras, and all of the working class people serving them have to be faceless, yep. they are masked. No, I just have my hair washed. I don't wear a mask when I'm washing my hair. Do you wear a mask when you're washing your hair? As
2: I said, really from the moment I sat on the plane, I, I, I began really second guessing that decision.
0: But what about central bankers? Federal Reserve Bank presidents are not elected officials, which is perhaps why San Francisco Fed President Mary Daly wasn't concerned with how tone deaf her recent comments on inflation came off.
1: You know, I have to say that I don't the pain of inflation anymore, but I don't find myself in a space where I have to make trade-offs because I have enough. Many, many Americans have enough. She sold all 70 stocks they owned December 28th of 21. This literally a few days before the top. These are people that are voting for programs that cause asset price inflation while they own these assets.
0: But what about the rest of America? Let them eat cake? Well, according to a Bloomberg op-ed, let them eat lentils to beat inflation.
1: We just got restocked the ice cream, uh, right, for Easter Sunday because we were, shall we say, enjoying chocolate and then we have some other chocolate here.
0: From central bankers to House speakers to state governors, hypocrisy among those in power seems to have become more shameless since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. Not only are they breaking their own rules, but they're telling us the negative impacts of their policies could actually be good for us.
1: The more we see of the just rank hypocrisy of these standard bearers of this particular worldview, I think it just hastens the return to sanity.
0: As the concentration of power grows, it further separates Washington insiders from the reality of everyday working life. And one of the biggest contributors to this is a system of manipulated money. In much of the Western world, we have so much price propaganda, and it's driven by who barons declared the winner of the U.S. election, which is the, the Fed and all the other central banks around the world just printing money and creating a cantillionaire class. The Cantillon Effect is the phenomenon that describes how those closest to the Fed's money printer benefit to a greater extent than those further away, and how political incentives become less and less about accountability and more about re-elections than anything else. And when the money printer goes burr, it perpetuates and compounds wealth inequality. It benefits corporate executives who are able to use easy money for stock buybacks and ultimately benefits short-term focused politicians.
2: So people like Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos are in this lovely situation of, of paying less in taxes as a share of their income then the poor people will live in that same state. I think people aren't living their values.
0: If people are no better than their incentives and the actual supply of money can be changed by a small group of unelected fiat overlords who stand to benefit from such a change, do the math. It's no surprise they might want to keep the current system as is. And then consider Bitcoin, a system of rules with no rulers. If no one has the ability to expand or manipulate the supply of money, then government officials would have to be more accountable to the promises they make and be held to a higher standard than when they're close to the monetary spigot. Maybe then societies could finally experience true financial inclusion and a chance to minimize the wealth gap. Once these fiat dark ages end, and that's what we're witnessing right now, this is what you're seeing on the cable news, this is what you're seeing in the hysterics on Twitter, once that dies, there's a great opportunity for the ordinary person to build something new. Fiat has succeeded in keeping the majority of people working harder and harder for less and less. It continues to shortchange wage earners of their most precious resource, their time. But what will happen when people stand up and say no to the hypocrisy and the inequality a system of easy money has created?
2: If you keep the poor people divided, they can't wake up long enough to do what I did and read about how money works. Because if they do that, we're got big trouble, right? Then the slaves will wake up. You don't want to deprogram the slaves. So you have to convince the slaves that it's not the monetary system's fault that you're broke. It's not the monetary system's fault that you continue to work for a set number of dollars and the price of houses just keep going up and up and up. It's not the monetary system's fault. It's the white man's fault or the black man's fault or the Asian people's fault. Someone else's fault. Because if the poor people all fight each other, they can't wake up long enough to look up and go, ah, there's not actually that many of them.
0: All right, it's time for our weekly macro update with Andy Edstrom, CFA and author of Why Buy Bitcoin. All right, Andy, a big focus for markets this week was July CPI data, which came in lower than recent CPI prints, but still elevated relative to history and elevated relative to where the Fed wants us to be. So how did the market react and what do you think the impact will be going forward?
2: Well, Natalie, we finally got a little bit of relief on the inflation front. Uh, July CPI came in at 8.5% versus 8.7% forecast. So this is the first time in a while that we've seen the consumer price inflation number come in lower than anticipated, as well as lower than uh, the prior month's number. So July CPI was a 0% gain over June CPI, which is the first time in a while that we haven't seen any consecutive rise in the overall price aggregate as measured uh, by CPI. And not surprisingly, asset markets took the news well. Uh, Pretty much all risk assets went up. Um, The assumption appears to be that CPI increases, while still significant, may be decelerating, may be slowing down. And financial market participants seem to consider this to be good news.
0: All right, Andy, we're still six weeks away from the next Fed meeting, but what's the market expecting and what do you think we'll see from the Fed in September?
2: So, this Friday, we saw a surprisingly strong payroll number come in at 528,000 uh, for non farm payrolls. This was higher than expectations for sure. And some market participants are pointing at the number as a sign of strength in the labor market. And it is a sign of strength overall. Um, I take it with a grain of salt. Sometimes this number gets revised in retrospect. And there are other indicators that the labor market's maybe not quite as strong as the number would suggest. Um, Labor force participation is still quite low. Uh, We're still on a trend of initial jobless claims being relatively high since March. And we still see quite a few companies, especially small companies, indicating uh, distress or indicating freezes in hiring um, or even uh, layoffs. So i take the you know payroll numbers with a grain of salt, uh, with some skepticism. Um, looking forward, what uh, financial markets and market participants are thinking about clearly is what's next for rates. Um, we are seeing the market was expecting a 75 basis point rate hike uh, for the next meeting. Now it seems like the consensus has moved toward 50 basis points. Um, you know we still have one more cpi number before the next meeting and so i'm sure that'll factor into the fed's decision on what to do with interest rates at the next meeting
0: some great insights there all right andy what are you focused on from here
2: so this friday we'll see the latest reading of the michigan consumer confidence survey consumer confidence has been extraordinarily low for a period of months now and so we'll see if uh, that brings any relief We get PCE data on August 26th. The PCE is actually the Fed's stated preferred measure of inflation. So that's a major factor in uh, their formula for setting rates. Uh, I'm watching oil and copper always. Those are uh, industrial inputs, key commodities that are sometimes coincident or even leading indicators of overall economic activity telling us what's going on in the economy or what could happen in the economy in the near future. And then, of course, I'm watching yields and how those get translated into asset prices.
0: All right. As always, thanks so much for joining us, Andy. Thank you so much for watching this week's edition of Hard Money. Our goal is to give you the latest headlines impacting Bitcoin and the global economy while bringing you original interviews straight from the biggest names in the space. I'm Natalie Brunel, and I'll see you next week.